Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name is Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into episode 217. So today we're taking a quick trip around agricultural commodity markets to recap the highlights from our latest quarterly market insights report. And joining me for that today is Robert Herman. So welcome, Rob. Thanks, Liv. Uh, it's great to be here. And it's amazing how quickly these quarterly reports seem to come around, Liv. Absolutely. Yep, you're telling me. <laughs> so our, our latest one is ready and it's about to hit inboxes early next week. And for a few of our commodity markets, there's been a real turning point and a, and a bit of a change in dynamic that we've set into 2023 with. So let's have a bit of a run through the key things our listeners need to know, which were covered in this report. So where do you want to start today, Rob? Well, I think we should start with grain, Liv, for two reasons. One, because I was up at uh, Kyneton this week and I had a request from one of the um, branch managers there who said, uh, I need more about grain. I want to hear more about grain. That's one reason. And the second reason I think we need to have a look at grain is because it has been a really tumultuous time for a lot of reasons. So, Liv, looking back, let you start. What's been happening in the grain market? Yeah, well, if you go back and think of 2022 for the grain market, really, it's been two factors in the driving seat of price, and that's been supply and geopolitics. And we know that the Russian invasion of Ukraine was the catalyst. And then there's been all these cascading events surrounding that, which had all these government interventions at their core. And that was because of soaring food costs around the world. So from about mid-October, when the Black Sea Grain Initiative or the Grain Corridor was renewed for six months, it really squashed any concerns that access to the Black Sea ports would cease. So we've seen a fall in prices since then. But mind you, that's from a very high level. So we're still seeing very historically high prices for the Australian harvest period. And then on the supply side, the drivers really come down to a few key countries at the moment, and that's Russia, of course. They're set for a huge crop with over 100 million metric tonnes, and we're looking for a record wheat and canola harvest here with a back-to-back-to-back big crop in Australia. So these are the two factors that will relieve some tightness in global ending stocks. Argentina has been the other one in focus uh, with their La Nina-induced drought, really uh, taking hit of their wheat crop, but it looks like things have turned around for the second planted bean and corn crops now. So all in all, Rob, global stocks to use ratios are still expected to be tight for next season, but any major production mishaps will be price supportive. Well, I noticed in the charts I used this week to present to uh, at Kyneton, uh, we've just produced a second record canola crop, and um, and that and so a lot of farmers, uh, both on the west coast and on the east coast, are planting canola, and the yields were were um, in by and large were very good. We know that some areas had disasters with the wet, but what's happening with the canola market? Yeah, well, it is, um, you know, a supply story as well. So we saw the European harvest rebound from recent production. Adding to that, you've got the increased production in Canada. And, and like you were saying, Australia's seen a big increase in the canola crop. So global production all over is seen as increasing about 10 million metric tonnes year on year. 
And then if you look at the consumption side, that's anticipated to lift around 5 million metric tonnes on the previous season. So what that means is there'll be an increase in surplus for the first time in about three years. So even though we've had these you know, challenging canola harvests on the East Coast, uh, we are really expecting to see a record here, which is a good good sign for those growers. Yes, well, we, we do know that there's some challenging times on the East Coast, but we also know that South Australia probably had one of its uh, out-of-the-box years, so that's great. So, And on all of that, on the back of all of that, I suppose the next big question is, Liv, how is demand for Australian grain going so far? A lot of the focus on the demand side of the story globally has been on China, and you know the question really is how their suffering econ- economy is going to impact food and feed. But for Australia, demand's looking good so far. Um, the shipping stems across the country are set to be at capacity for March and April with the huge crop. Um, it does mean that we're probably looking at another year of stocks building locally, though, which will put a natural cap on prices. Uh, okay. So um, that's a pretty comprehensive grain summary, Liv. Well done. Thanks, Robin. Let's turn to cattle now, I think. So how did the market fare in quarter four of 2022 for cattle? Well, again, we saw um, volatility and um, it's interesting um, in the quarterly report, I noticed a quote from Nick Booth uh, where he actually asked Siri, um, you know, how's the markets gone this year? And Siri tells him in no uncertain terms that the bottom line is that we've seen volatility and the cattle market had a similar story. Um, I mean, we had a, if we look at the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, we had a high in early October of about 1,085 where the market had, had battled along pretty well and then all of a sudden by the time we got to early December it had really come off and that was on the back of um, you know increased volume coming through um, restock of demand had sort of had some sort of satisfaction and, and it eased off um, but then by the end of November um, we finished at uh, 901 cents which for the quarter was down about 16 percent uh, and I think it's worth noting and I noticed in the figures that Maca- that you're putting up in the quarterly report, the Mercado's putting up, was that the average for the um, the quarter four, the final quarter of 2022, was 981 cents, which is really just one and a half or one to two percent below the quarterly average previous to that. So, you know, if you look at averages and, and people don't sell at the highs and the lows, not everybody sells at the highs and the lows, on average, the market did did hold pretty well. And what about the early 2023 sales, especially those annual weaner sales that we were reporting on? Well, I think it's fair to say that there was a lot of um, adjustments in thinking to be made. You know, those weaner sales, some of them were back 30% on on the previous year. And and I noticed talking with Adam Mountjoy about that, he said one of the things to keep in mind is that, you know, it's still well above the weaner prices we were seeing uh, two and three years ago. So, so that's not a bad a bad story, um, and and the other thing is we're seeing you know we're seeing demand for certain products, and some people say oh it's the right product. So the market is patchy, and um, it's uh, it's got some uh, challenges, I suppose is fair to say. And what about the herd? So are we still in a drought re- recovery mode at the moment? Well, I think I think most of the um, restock of demand has been satisfied in the south. Um, we know that in the north, and and you make a good point about this in the um, uh, in the quarterly report, is that the north uh, didn't have those really good monsoon seasons post drought that 
that were you know that were similar, I guess, to the good seasons we had in the south. And, and, and although just in recent times we've had record rains in some areas, so it's it's fair comment, and and the quarterly report addresses this. It's fair comment, Liv, to say that perhaps there is some strong um, restock of demand still to come in the north. I think also one thing, I, and I just uh, forgot to mention this, but we're, the process of challenges that we've been talking about, um, you know, in, in the last couple of years, uh, by and large, the processes seem to have, um, you know, really got things stabilised. They, their December slaughter um, was up uh, 10 to 20%, depending on where you were year on year. And that's a good thing. And I think the other, if we're looking for, um, you know, some positive pointers going forward, uh, and you've commented on this, and that is that we're, we're hoping that the, the renewed um, or better engagement government to government with China, between Australia and China, and also China lifting the COVID, the harsh COVID lockdowns means that that food service industry in China um, gets going again, as restaurants get going again, and that's where most of our um, beef ends up in China. And uh, so, so that's a positive on the horizon, I think, along with the fact that processes seem to have been able to get their capacity back. I was just reading this morning that reports are coming out that it looks like the, the COVID wave in China as well as getting towards the end. So that's another positive sign that, you know, it might not be as long to getting to that uh, rebound as we, we originally thought when cases were surging. So that's a good story there too. That is a good story. Um, just, just switching to staying on red meat, if you like, and switching to sheep and lamb. Um, the, the sheep and lamb, the shift in the supply demand equation across livestock markets, you know, why is that happening for sheep and how is it impacted on price? Yeah, so we've really seen that long term trend that we've always t talked about of the higher highs in price and the higher lows that really broke off in 2022. Um and, you know, it was no by no means a surprise to see lower sheep meat values. So the flock rebuild that's been in place since 2019, it's finally resulted in ample lamb supplies and increasing sheep numbers coming through. But on the demand side, we've got those rising processor costs, uh, labour shortages, and now, you know, the poor economic outlook that's all conspiring to see processors receive less for lamb and mutton. And when that happens, there's only really one way prices can go, which is down. So what we're seeing now, uh, it's really a split between categories as well, like the comment you made on cattle market, Rob. So restocker lambs, which are out in plenty of big numbers and, and sheep are very cheap due to the lack of restocking demand. But the needle in the haystack has really been good quality trade and heavy lambs where prices have been holding firm simply because they're hard to come by. Yes, well, that's, uh, I mean, that's a concern. and uh, But I, th I think the point you make is that we have seen, you know, successive years of uh, higher highs and higher lows. And a lot of that dri was driven, we know we can trace that back to China's um, impact on the market when they first got started around 2010 to 2012. And, and that carried on through. So perhaps we can see on a demand side, perhaps we can see, uh, a little bit of bright light if that uh, China story starts to come through again, Liv. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there were factors that we were talking about last year, like seeing the price of cheap and expensive cuts of lamb to the US falling uh, with all the, the uncertainty um, economically around the world. But on the other hand, there is that silver lining of the end to lockdowns in China. So I think everyone's just really trying to get a grasp on how these two factors are going to balance out in terms of global red meat demand. Yes, for sure, Liv. And perhaps we can just um, we can shift across onto the wool, Liv, where um, coming from sheep meat to wool, um, we saw a pickup from the, the September lows. Um, you know, that was through October. The market picked up and then it fell back and struggled. Uh, and then it, in the end, it finished quite strongly. I think uh, one of the points to note is that um, through all of this, uh, we keep consistently selling around about an average of 35,000 bars a week. And that's been the, the volume that we've been selling for the last three years now. So that's positive. Um, and of course, we've now, we're now into January. We've had two or three sales and those sales have been quite strong too, Liv. And what about the the price in quarter four? So the EMI I'm reading, is it down by around 6.5%? So what's the backstory to that? Yes, well, it, it was mainly uncertainty. And I think even though we can say that uh, the average EMI was down 6.5% for the quarter, when we look at the fact that China is our major customer and we know they've had major disruptions, I'm probably inclined to look at that and say that wasn't too bad. Um, and it has. we've also had, had uh, reports that we're getting increased uh, interest and in competition from other countries and countries like the Czech Republic and India uh, started to pop up in reports. And so I think by and large, um, we know that wool is a, is a commodity that uh, really fluctuates on the back of economic GDP in the, in the global sphere. Um, if that's still holding true, then I think we've probably, we've fared reasonably well and, um, and, and held our head up in the wool market in the last quarter. I think that's a really good point to make there, Robin. But what about the supply side? I know we were hearing, you know, delays due to the wet season. So how significant was that and how did it impact the market? Yes, well, I think uh, the, the best analyst of that, as we know, is Andrew Woods, who continually uh, contributes to Mercado. And, and he's sort of estimating that probably the market was, the, the supply was pushed back about 10%. When you have a look at the supply that came through uh, late in the year, um, the deposit, and that, of course, that supply has all got to come through and be sold. But as I said, we continually, the first two weeks of this year, we sold 40,000 bales. So we are uh, managing to see that wool clear through. Um, there's certain areas that aren't, and I think the crossbred section is one where there's a bit of buildup of, of lower quality wool, and, and that's a problem. There's no doubt about that. But, but generally, if you're talking about the merino clip, um, the supply was delayed and, and, and difficult in getting shearers and then holds up in wet weather. Um, but it's probably fair to say that given that we are continuing to sell good volumes through, um, that uh, you know the market is clearing it and it's not such a big problem. And I noticed this week even live the um, the passing rate nationally was about six point six percent. So it's not a bad result. No, that sounds pretty good. And you you mentioned there for a second, Rob, about the quality that was impacted. Can you expand a bit more on what we're seeing in terms of quality at the moment? Yes. Well, I think um, uh, one of the things we're seeing in quality is is because 
of the generally good growing season and the slightly delayed shearing on average, there is more long wool, more over long wool in the market. And, and that's a problem for processors because, I mean, they've now got to try and um, match that longer wool up with other wool to get to the right lengths for their um, machines. And we get, we're seeing, you know, in some aspects of the market, not all, but in some, we're seeing that the discounts for over long wool are, uh, are starting to, to increase a little bit. I think the other one that to watch, and this will be one that's coming through in the future, when you have a big season like this, you have a lot of grass and a lot of grass means a lot of grass seed. Um, we're, we're, at the moment, we're in the low, the wool that's coming through now is low VM, uh, simply because it was grown through a period where the, the grass was green and the seeds didn't get stuck in the wool. But what we'll see from now on is we'll see wool that's being shorn that has had dry grass seeds and, and a fair bit of it in the wool. So we might see an, in, well, we will see an increase in, in vegetable matter content in fleece wool, but we might also start to see larger discounts as, as a lot of the orders live, they stipulate that the average VM is 1% or less. And, and for processors or the exporters to get their averages to 1% or less, they're going to struggle to find offsetting low VM wool, if you like, to match up with the high VM wool. So that's, that's probably a warning and something we'll talk about again. Uh, I know Andrew Woods is looking closely at this all the time and it's something that, that should be watched. But if you've got low VM wool, then um, it's going to be attractive to try and uh, help these processes put together their batches. Might be a feature topic for the next quarterly report then, Rob. I think it could be. I think there's one other thing that came out of the uh, quarterly report that I thought was worth noting and that was that the 16 to 18 micron category, which which these days covers a lot of the merino clip, um, the amount of wool or the value of the wool exported was the fourth highest value on record. And that's that tells us something. It tells us that um, that wool is, is making good money. It tells us it's getting good demand. And to have the fourth highest value on record of, of that particular section means there's a fair bit of it going out there. So... That's a good sign and uh, and it's something we can perhaps look forward to and watch closely as well as we go into the next uh, selling weeks. Yeah, I think the you know the price falls that we've seen over the last few months was was definitely clouding the vision of the wool market, but that was a really important and key part that Andrew Woods pulled out is that um, gross sales value. So it was a good good one to see and um, a good note to end on, I think, Rob. So thanks so much for coming on today to discuss our latest quarterly market insights report for our listeners. If they haven't got their hands on it and would like to, just please reach out and contact us and we'll be sure to send you a copy. So thanks, Rob. Until next time, take care. You too, Liv. Thank you.